Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. When the COVID-19 pandemic triggered mass workplace closures, many companies were unprepared, weren't they, for what turned into an open-ended remote work arrangements. And since we are about to wrap up the new year, LifeWorks, a company that provides well-being support, has recently conducted a survey to measure workers' mental health. Four in five individuals Mm -hmm. have a mental health risk, according to the report. Prolonged stress and changes in work environments are eroding trust as well between Singaporean employees and employers. Jamie McLennan joins us now. He's Senior VP and GM of APAC at LifeWorks. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining us on Money FM's Prime Time. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this, uh, Jamie. Employees across the globe now recognize that supporting the mental health of employees, of course, is vital to the future of their business. But even with this newfound awareness, there's no significant improvement, according to some experts, in the way working Singaporeans continue to experience mental health issues. Tell us more about how you are reading the situation. Yes, thank you. That's a great question because what our mental health index score shows is precisely that, that the mental health scores... Uh, of the working population in Singapore remains under significant strain several years down the track from the start of the pandemic. What you would expect from these scores and what we saw at the outset of the pandemic was a material and significant decline. But what you wouldn't necessarily have expected is that though there has been an increase and an improvement since then, it's actually been a very limited improvement. And the current score for Singapore, the average score for working population in Singapore, is 60.5 on a scale to 100. And that means that the population is under significant strain three years down the track from the start of the pandemic. So what's fueling this low score? What are the gaps here? Why aren't we improving? Again, a great question, because there's always that assumption that as you get to the end of that's the physical risk and assume that the rollout of the successful rollout of the vaccination begins to get the physical risk to disappear. The mental risk will, you know, follow the same path, but we're not wired that way. That's not the way people work. And research from other pandemics or epidemics such as SARS show that the mental health strain and pressure continues for years after the physical health is gone. So what's playing out is exactly what the studies would say is that those pressures and strain will continue for a period. And what we see in this year and carrying on into 2023 is the capacity to absorb new stresses, meaning that we continue to be in that highly strained environment. So new things coming to the fore, like economic pressures, our ability to cope with it three years ago would have been stronger. We're far less able to deal with those stresses. And hence, you get this compounding problem of continued stress. So, Jamie, what sets the others apart, though, the ones who probably would not understand what this mental health issue is about that we are talking about, that many people are going through? Awareness is still one of the critical things. You mentioned at the outset that awareness has improved, and it has, but there sadly continues to be very high levels of stigma, both at a society level and a a company level. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is trying to get that awareness and understanding out there of mental health pressures and how to talk about it and how to deal with it. And I commend the Singapore government. They've done a fantastic job in terms of trying to escalate this and elevate it. But we're starting from a situation where there continues to be high levels of stigma in Singapore, in Asia Pacific, and and indeed globally. So what are your suggestions to destigmatize such issues? 
Well, educational, go back to trying to make people understand what mental health pressures are. And by educating people, you can then educate people in how to deal with it. And at a, a company level, it means being able to provide employees the support mechanisms that they can deal with these issues and provide managers the ability to address the issue for their employees. Mm. A lot of people say that the managers should lead by example. So if you're a manager, if you're a leader in a company, you should also be frank with your employees about some of the strains that you go through. But I have another question that's related. A lot of mental health issues have to do with the people you work with, difficult bosses, difficult subordinates, colleagues, a company's culture, perhaps. And I've always felt that companies should fix leadership and culture if they want happier employees. But I noticed that many don't do this because they say it's just too hard. Instead, they employ band-aids, such as wellness programs, which in cases where nothing is done to address the workplace problems that cause the mental health issues, all of these come as lip service. That's a great point. People often want you know, the single solution that solves everything, and it, and it doesn't work like that. You've got to address a number of those issues together. So I think managers do need to lead by example, and they do need to identify and address mental health issues on behalf of their staff. But at the same time, many managers have never been trained or supported in how to do that. And so they're promoted often because of their technical skills, but they're never armed with the training to actually identify and address mental health issues. So we do need to, organizations need to support their managers as well as to support their individual employees. And then in turn, you're right, there are wider issues around workplace culture, workplace engagement that also go to the heart of a mentally healthy workplace. So, Jamie, whatever happened to resilience? Because there was a time back in the 80s, 70s, 90s, whatever, during my time as a junior, it was about the resilience. We just keep going, going, going. And there was no such thing as mental health issues in the workplace. And all of a sudden, now we are seeing more and more of it. I know you talked about the awareness, but what happened in between? I'm laughing somewhat because I do remember those days when I started. And you're absolutely correct. Mental health was not a conversation in the workplace. But realistically, that was actually wrong, and it was very unhelpful for individuals mm-hmm. and for companies. So the issues have always been there. It's just that that stigma issue, that was one of the manifestations of stigma, was trying to say that you should be resilient and suck it up and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And we did for the un- most part, right? Un- <laughs> and you grew into and you grew into mentally disturbed individuals. No, I'm just kidding, you know, but the fact is that we were forced to deal with it on our own. Some of us without the skills to cope. Correct. And that did a disservice to the individuals and in reality it did a disservice to the organizations as well. So I think that we, we've improved since there in terms of our understanding. Mm-hmm. And you can see the, the, the positive impact on organizations when they get this right. And you talk about work culture, supporting their individuals and engaging their individuals. The productivity and lift for organizations is extreme. So mental health and well-being support is long past just being a nice to have. There's a commercial imperative associated with it. Mm. If you look at the studies, the lift in productivity associated with a highly engaged and supported workforce is substantially higher than other organizations. So there's a financial benefit to the bottom line if you get this right. Equally, there's a financial cost if you get it wrong. And if people don't look at that properly, they're going to miss the importance of getting this right. So some of our analysis, what we've looked at for productivity, companies generally measure absenteeism. There's a far bigger impact on 
productivity if you look at things like presenteeism, where people turn up, but they can't concentrate and they can't engage with people and they can't deliver. And so organizations are often measuring the wrong thing to the detriment of their bottom line. Of course, I think also the point that Tim was trying to make was that it doesn't hit everyone the same way. Some people deal with certain situations better than others. So shouldn't it also be tailored to individuals within the workplace, whatever program a company rolls out? Absolutely. That's a fantastic point. And that's certainly one of the elements that we stress as an organization to our clients, that there is not a one-size-fits-all. You should not necessarily drive a top-down program that everybody has to follow. You're absolutely right. People are different. People deal with their issues differently. And you need to have programs that can be tailored to the individual. They can be offered company-wide, but they need to be tailored to an individual. All right. Thank you very much for that, Jamie. Appreciate your time today. Jamie McLennan, Senior VP and GM of APAC at LifeWorks. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.